recovery is a lot different than normal breast augmentation. And then there's the whole emotional side of that, of having large breasts and then going back to, it's not even back to exactly what you look like before, because whenever you surgically alter something, it's not going to look like it did before. There's that whole aspect to it as well. The main thing that the way that you can break down and explain what breast implant illness is for everyone is it is out of control inflammation from a foreign object in your body. And for a while, your body can try to deal with it. And then eventually it becomes out of control for most of us. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. In honor of International Women's Day this week, I'm thrilled to offer the stage to one woman who is no stranger to the silver screen and who has shifted much of her focus from her life as an actress to patient advocacy for women who suffer from breast implant illness, also known as BII. Her name is Candace Barley. She's an actress, producer, and mother of three boys who had to become a health detective as a result of the incapacitating effects of her own breast implants. After recovering from explant surgery back in 2019 and spending the next two years healing from that trauma, she began sharing her story, first on the red carpet and then with all of us on her Instagram channel, at Holistico Life. There she offers daily updates in her morning vlog where she educates and empowers women with breast implants. Candace works as a patient advocate to one of the leading BII specialists and explant surgeons, Dr. Robert Whitfield. She uses her platform to share resources, products, interviews with expert doctors, and healing protocols that work for her and her community. Now, as we dig into this particular episode, we're bound to get a little graphic. So this may serve as a trigger warning for some. We're also bound to talk about the specific things that worked for Candace. But it's important that all of you understand that what we talk about on this show is offered for informational purposes only. If you have a specific health condition, if you have out of context inflammation, something that you really need support with, you should seek medical care from a qualified professional. Now we're happy to bring this content to you each week. And if you really like the content that you hear today, I would encourage you to follow the show follow Candice and engage with us deeply. You can send your questions always to us at Orlo Nutrition and also through our email to hello at orlonutrition.com. Without further ado, I'm going to bring Candice right up. Candice Barley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. You have been through a lot over the last few years and in the midst of a pandemic at the same time, when I can imagine it must have been doubly hard to get to a diagnosis, to get to solutions. So I wonder if you can just share a little bit about your journey, what landed you at that conclusion of needing to get an explant surgery? Yeah, well, it was a very long road that started 20 years ago. I got breast implants when I was 24 years old. I had children young, 
20 and 22 and never had much in the way of breasts, but I was like a lot of girls, young girls bullied in middle school and high school. And I actually was a ballerina, a very serious ballerina all throughout elementary and middle school. And so I was fine with the way that I was built. And it wasn't until I was in a locker room with a bunch of girls in middle school that the tormenting began and I didn't understand it. And then I was like, oh, I guess something's wrong with me. But the tribe, my peers don't accept me. There's obviously something wrong. And so that continued. And then eventually you get out of high school and all of that stuff. But I clearly hadn't healed from that trauma. So after breastfeeding, once I was flat again, I was like, well, now I can do something about it. So I'm going to get breast implants. So I got a very small set saline implants. And from the first moment I woke up with them, they just felt foreign. But I was like, okay, but this is what I'm supposed to look like. (laughs) So I had them and two years into having them, one of them ruptured. I'd been doing yard work and I called the surgeon in a panic. They said, no worries, come in, we'll exchange them. So they put in another set of saline, told me I had to go bigger because skin stretches and you have to go bigger. I was like, but I don't want to be big. I just, nope, we're the doctors. We know. Another set of implants. Two years later, riding roller coaster for my son's birthday, another one ruptures. Oh, wow. Same thing, another exchange. They put in bigger ones. And all this time, I'm having these symptoms start to show up, never, ever putting together that they all started after my first set of implants. Things like just chronic fatigue to the point that I was going to the doctor and saying, what's going on? I feel like maybe I have thyroid issues. I'm so tired. I shouldn't be this tired at 25 years old. I said, no, it's just because you have two kids under four. I'm like, hmm, okay. And then I started having things like restless leg and just kind of other like nerve things and just overall feeling not well. And whenever I would go, they would just say, oh, it's fine. You're just stressed. You're just tired from being a mom. So eventually they released silicone again and said that it was safer than the old school silicone. It was cohesive gel. And if you have ruptures, then this is what you should switch to. So I was like, oh, okay, that's what I need to do so I don't keep having ruptures. So I switched to the gummy bear silicone implants. Again, they went even bigger. And the reason I keep mentioning that is because as a patient advocate and as someone who talks with hundreds of women a week, this is very common. Every woman asks to have a certain size, like a B cup, and they are all made a D or double D cup across the board. So that's a real issue in itself. Anyways, I switched to silicone. And after that, I started having major hormonal issues. So of course, went to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, you need to be on birth control. And I'm like, okay. At this point, I'm just so desperate and so busy as a mom that I just want to feel better. You want a solution and you trust them. Exactly, exactly. And so fast forward to 17 years with implants and I am finally bedridden. I am so sick that I have full body tremors. My liver is failing. I'm diagnosed with fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I eat all organic. I don't drink alcohol. I try to work out, but I was too exhausted to work out anymore. I don't drink out of plastic. Like I do all the things, take all the supplements. And I'm sleeping 18 hours a day. 
and my cholesterol's through the roof because my liver can't process fats anymore. So I finally go to a functional practitioner and they start running all these tests and they're just like, your body's falling apart. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> Look, you know, I take do food diaries. I do all these things and they can't figure out why. I am a spiritual person, but I was so fed up and I was sitting in a chair in the corner of my room and I was home by myself. My mom had to take care of my youngest son and I just in desperation was crying and saying, what is wrong with me? And I heard in my ear, breast implants. And I, at this point, I'm 41 years old. I've never heard a voice in my entire life. So it was my higher self, whatever you want to call it, God, something intervened because I wasn't getting the message. So I immediately picked up my laptop and typed in, can your breast implants make you sick? And I found thousands of stories exactly like mine. Well, I've got pins and needles all over my body. Just hearing that part of your story, I felt the chills run up my spine because there is a moment, I think, in most people's lives when they feel like they just suddenly know something. Yeah. And it would take that level of conviction for you to go to your doctors and say, that's it. These have to go. Because they're sitting there probably looking at you and saying, oh, it's not the implants. It's all these other things, but it's not the implants, right? Right. When I went and said... So I was scheduled for a liver biopsy because my liver enzymes were doubling and tripling every three to four weeks. So they were like, it's time to biopsy your liver. And I'm like, so at this point, I've found this, I've found these groups and stuff with all these women who have breast implant illness. I never even had heard of breast implant illness and they get their breast implants removed and they get better. And I'm like, well, I have nothing left to lose at this point. So mm-hmm. I said, let me get my breast implants out before we do the biopsy. And they rolled their eyes and were like, okay, whatever. So I found a specialist who performed breast implant removal on block, which just means that they remove the entire scar capsule that forms around the implant. Any foreign body in your body, your body forms a capsule around it to protect Mm -hmm. your body from the whatever it is that shouldn't be in there. So it's very important that that capsule be removed as well. So I had my surgery And my blood work was taken for my liver enzymes the day before, and they were just even worse. And four weeks after my surgery, mind you, I've had general anesthesia and narcotics and all these things. My liver should be even worse. Mm -hmm. Four weeks after, my liver enzymes had reduced by half. They already were outside of the safe ranges, but they had reduced by half. So they let me hold off on the biopsy and said, we'll test again in four weeks tested again in four weeks, and my liver enzymes were completely normal. Wow. So this is also speaking to the power of the human body to regenerate. The fact is that the liver is one of our, it's our most vital organ in many ways. I mean, you need your heart first in a way, but your liver, you can't live without your liver. And it can regenerate people who get liver transplants often only get a portion of the liver, and it can then fully regenerate into the full-fledged organ, which is a really unique attribute for our organ systems, but that's still really surprising that it would be that fast. Yes. And that was just one of the issues. That was the measurable issue that they could see on paper. Mm -hmm. The other things that I personally was experiencing was hair loss, full body tremors, extreme brain fog, of course, the chronic fatigue, muscle Mm -hmm. weakness, 
heart palpitations to the point that I did have to wear a heart monitor for a while and they couldn't figure out why that was happening. And rashes, skin hormonal imbalances, weight gain. I could not lose weight no matter what I did. And it wasn't normal weight. It was inflammation. It was water weight, just puffy all over. All of these things slowly started to resolve. Now I had so many other things going on that I had to run my own detox protocols and figure out what worked and what didn't work and all those things. But the only thing that had changed from the time that I had seen the liver specialist to them finally canceling my liver biopsy was removing my breast implants. Wow. Yes. You spoke of them briefly as a foreign body, and this is why your body would build vasculature and kind of encapsulate it, so to speak, almost like it's working to protect you from whatever is there. It does the same thing with tumors in your body. An unblock is a tumor. The way they remove tumors is they remove it all intact in one piece. Now, of course, at this point, you've gone through three breast implants, if I counted that correctly. My original surgery, then the exchange for the first rupture, and then exchange for the second rupture, and then silicone. Oh, so that's four plus the explant surgery. And each of these has risks and also recovery time. I think many people have this assumption that, oh, breast implants, elective surgery, it's not that big of a deal. But there's a lot of pain associated with going through this first time, second time, third time, fourth time. And I imagine the explant surgery may have even been worse in some ways. Oh, the explant surgery is most definitely, it's on a whole nother level because most breast implants are placed behind the muscle. And as you've had implants for years and years and years, your pectoral muscle actually atrophies. So they have to go back in and removing the capsule from the ribs and all that is very intricate procedure. And it has to be performed by a specialist. And Sometimes they have to do muscle repair and it's a much larger incision because everything has to be removed in a certain way. Recovery is a lot different than normal breast augmentation. And then there's the whole emotional side of that, of having large breasts and then going back to, it's not even back to exactly what you look like before because whenever you surgically alter something, it's not going to look like it did before. There's that whole aspect to it as well. The main thing that the way that you can break down and explain what breast implant illness is for everyone is it is out of control inflammation from a foreign object in your body. And for a while, your body can try to deal with it. And then eventually it becomes out of control for most of us. The doctor that I work with understands and was very interested in trying to really pinpoint why certain women get sick from their breast implants why there was a few that seemed to be okay, and then why there was some that didn't get better immediately after explant. And so there's a lot of different factors. It's not that you just remove your implants and then everything's fine because so many different things, so many other fires have started in in the house during this long time that you were not aware that it was your breast implants. Mm -hmm. So you have to address all of those. But a big part of it is genetics and your immune pathways. So for instance, now that I've done my genetics, all four of my main immune pathways, which is my antioxidant, my vitamin D, my glutathione, and my methylation pathways don't function optimally genetically. I -hmm. supplement all of those now and I feel great, but I wasn't supplementing those when I had implants and my body couldn't kick everything out. 
So for those that are already doing exploration into with some of these fine-tuning details around your health, you might be familiar with the MTHFR insufficiency, which I believe is what you're describing when it comes yeah. to the methylated vitamins. So you're told, for instance, that you need the methyl form of the B vitamins, like methylfolate, methylcobalamin, so that you can actually absorb those nutrients. Otherwise, they aren't getting in. And because they aren't getting in, your hormones then fall completely out of whack too. And the hormones regulate so many systems within the body that when that cascade starts to occur, it's like you're in a super aging spiral. Exactly. And that's the whole other thing. It's If your body is in a chronic state of inflammation, you're aging faster. Everything is just not operating the way it should be. So everything that you're trying to do to counteract, it doesn't have a chance because your body's running a race that it can't win for most women. There are very few. We've had, a, I would say, all the time that I've been working with Dr. Whitfield, maybe two women have come in and be like, I'm just done with my implants. I've had them for 20 years. I feel fine. I have no symptoms. And they really don't. And we get their genetics back and they're perfect. And their family, like their mom and grandma and everyone lived to be 105. And (laughs) so there are some people that are just fine genetic specimens that can deal with the inflammation. But for most of us, no. That's the people that drink and smoke until their dying days and they still live to be 90. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like saying, yeah, smoking and everything is safe because this person can do it. Well, most people can't. That's right. The reality is too, like if you have, for instance, I've shared on this podcast before, I have one representation of APOE4. And now research is coming out that shows that people, even if they don't have the MTHFR insufficiency, being of this genome type may actually impact how you absorb fats into your tissues, like your brain and your eyes. And so now they're investigating the pathway to say, is this the reason, for instance, that people of the APOE4 genome type with one representation or two, if you get it from both parents, your chances are you're more likely, even more likely to develop Alzheimer's, dementia, brain and eye disorders as you age. And so now that they're seeing this, they're saying, okay, well, what form of fats do we need so that we increase our chances of not developing these late stage diseases as we age? One such researcher I interviewed on this podcast a while ago her name is Melanie Plourd, and we talked about this connection and how the APOE4 allele can potentially keep you from getting the most out of even your omega-3s. This is why taking an omega in the polar lipid form, like those produced by Orlo Nutrition, is that much more helpful for people who have a representation or both of that particular allele. Regardless, it's better absorbed by anybody. So that's like, if you're trying to do something to impact your inflammatory health and it's not doing anything and your system's still attacking a foreign body, in this case, a breast implant, then even if you had taken a truckload of omega-3, it probably wouldn't have solved that because there was just too much of an inflammatory assault in our system. Gosh, I mean, my heart goes out to you because I can imagine what this was like. I mean, I didn't have my kids until I was 39 and 41. And I don't think I ever slept 18 hours in a day. Mine were both under four at the same time. I still had energy. And yes, I was tired because I wasn't sleeping through the night, but nobody ever said to me, oh, it's just you're a tired mom. That's why. Oh, yeah. No. And this is what I hear time and time again of women who have been like, 
I've been going to the doctor for years. I've been having these same issues and they just, they just, they'll tell them, oh, you just have anxiety or you're just not getting enough sleep or you need to work out. Well, you might have that too. <laughs> yeah. You might develop anxiety from something yeah. like that. Oh this. yeah. Anxiety is a really big problem. Depression rates go up a lot with breast implants because of neural inflammation. So Dr. Whitfield has one of the biggest studies of EEGs on women with breast implants of anyone in the world that we know of, because he kept hearing over and over and over, I just have this just incredible brain fog. I can't remember words. I can't remember my kids' birthdays. I feel like there's a veil over my mind. And so he was like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. Well, that could also sound like a hormonal issue because that's what women, as they go through menopause, often complain of. Right. But then you have women in there as young as 23 who have had implants since they were 18 saying this. So mm -hmm. there was just like, doctors look for patterns. So right. the only pattern he could see was they all had breast implants. So he started using Wavi medical EEG device and measuring women before their explant surgery one week after, one month after, and three months after. And he was being able to get quantifiable data showing that their neural inflammation was going down, that the response times to the brain tests were going up. So it wasn't just them saying, I feel better, I can think clearer, I feel like the veil's been lifted. He could actually show it. You could test it out. Yes. That's amazing. Wow. It's neural inflammation. So you alluded early in our conversation to the fact that you already had healthy eating habits, that you didn't drink, that you were setting yourself up for the best possible success. You're physically active. You're a former ballet dancer and you're physically active. So all of these things together, you had the healthy habits. I imagine you also probably took some supplements too. Oh yeah. They weren't helping you. You needed to go through this. So I guess what I'm coming to is kind of twofold. One is we do have some societal constructs that say, this is what a woman looks like. And an attractive woman, especially somebody who's working to be in Hollywood, needs to look like this. Here's a surgical solution. Go for it. My question, and this might be surprising to some if they haven't thought about it, but do you go through any sort of psychological screening as you're getting ready to perform breast implants or get augmentation in some way here? I'm just wondering if there's a connection in a way to the expectation from the person that's going to commit to having a surgery that alters their body and whether or not they're mentally prepared for the change and if they had to go back, what that would look like. No, nothing like that is ever discussed. Now they go into more detail about some of the risks because they legally have to because the FDA forced them to put a black box warning on the device. Mm -hmm. So they technically have to have women briefly sign something. But as far as that, no, there's not. And there really should be because the level of depression, anxiety, and even suicide rates that happen with women with breast implants increases significantly. I just wondered if there was some sort of screening because we know today too that people who decide to go through gender reassignment or official gender surgeries, gender-related surgeries, they are required to go through a laundry list of psychological assessments before a surgeon can sign off on something like that. And yes. to me, this seems like it could be somewhat connected because it is a dysmorphia with how your body is structured. You're saying, I'm not happy with this 
way that my body fits. So I need to change it. And I would imagine too, that even if you didn't have a physically negative reaction to the breast implants, if you had an expectation that you would feel a certain way after the implants and that you didn't get that feeling or you somehow didn't feel at home in your own skin still, that might also increase incidence of depression and things along those lines because the bandage didn't work in a way. Right. A lot of women feel trapped by them because they just feel like they have something so foreign. Most of the time you kind of get used to them, but I meet with a lot of women who are just like, I hold my body, like their whole center of gravity goes off because they feel like they have to cover themselves and hold them and do all because it just feels so foreign in their body. And I feel like that's a lot of women who are already very in touch with their body. And I wasn't. I wasn't at 22 years old or 24 years old and even going through. We say I'm grateful I would not ever change all of the horrible things that I've been through because I don't know that I would be grounded now and in touch and in tune with my body like I am had I not been through all of this. Mm -hmm. And so I learned a lot about myself and about my body. And now I can tell when a supplement's working, when a food's working, when things that I was so disconnected from before, I now can really tune into. So I'm grateful. And because now I'm able to help so many other women who have my same story. My story is not unique. Not everyone has a failing liver, but they have pretty much everything else and then they have other things like they are misdiagnosed with MS. They are diagnosed with Lyme without ever having had a tick bite. They are diagnosed with lupus, even though they don't really truly have the markers. They are diagnosed with fibromyalgia. They are given all of these blanket diagnoses that basically have no treatment. And no one ever says, hey, did you have any of this before you got breast implants? No one. And when you ask them, they go, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, I think the other thing people who have not had breast implants don't understand is that even if they don't rupture, you typically need to get them redone every 10 or 15 years, I think, on the outside, right? Yeah, really and truly, it should be every eight to 10 years mm -hmm. because at the eight-year mark, the shell degradation starts to occur. So I always remind everyone that all implants are silicone mm -hmm. because the shell is silicone. The filler is either saline or silicone, but the shell itself is silicone made up of about 38 different types of chemicals, heavy metals and benzene and platinum, which is a driver. So that like really drives all the other heavy metals into your system, but they start to break down and degrade. And so the rupture rate goes up by half a percent every year, starting at the eight year mark. They don't tell you that. And my thing is always, where is it going if something's degrading inside your body? <laughs> It doesn't take a scientist to figure that out. When I first heard that with amalgam fillings, half of the mercury in the amalgam filling in your tooth is no longer in the tooth five years later. And I had a mouthful of them as a little kid. I mean, all of my molars had amalgam fillings in them. So I went through the process in my 20s of having each of them replaced and even that was a big deal because they had to have proper ventilation for myself and for the person performing the extraction for just something like, well, because it's mercury. And when you drill into right. it, mercury oxide is formed. So it's like, you just don't want this stuff in your body, period. But half of it, at least, is already in your system. 
And then mercury disrupts hormones. It does all sorts of other things that are negative. It can inspire brain fog. And so if you're talking about now also having platinum within the system that drives further degradation, and let's say you have a mouthful of metal, you're set up for failure. Exactly. And then I haven't even gotten into the other aspect of it is every single time you have an implant exchange, the risk for bacteria increases substantially. So the doctor I work with also has the largest group of PCR testing of the actual capsule. And what he has found is in 35 to 45% of the capsules, they come back with biofilms, which is bacteria, microbacteria, and more fungus. So you're basically harboring a low-grade infection all the time in almost half of the women that have implants. And the most common bacteria that comes back positive for is, is Cutibacterium acnes, which is something that is on the upper half of your body. So a lot of times shoulder implants will come back positive with that, but not up to 40% of the time. This is extremely high rate for a particular type of surgery that is in women and that is performed. And it has a lot to do with, so if there was any type of skin contact when they were moving or putting in the new implant, that's how that can get in there. So it's just performed so often that I'm not sure that all of the standards that go into placing other medical devices are upheld. Because a lot of people like, I mean, at certain points, like you don't even have to be a plastic surgeon to do breast augmentation and just be any type of doctor. (laughs) Okay. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So you don't have to be a plastic surgeon. You just need to be a surgeon or? I know at one point, I think there was even cases of dentists doing breast augmentations. Okay. So... (laughs) Yeah. It just makes my earlier story laughable too. I mean, you could be doing mercury extractions and then breast implants. Right. Exactly. This is crazy. There's a lot of different ways that these things happen, but the bottom line is they happen. And this is the other essential part of going to get surgery with an experienced explant surgeon because they have the correct tools. It's the same as removing the mercury in the safe way. They have to remove it all in one piece. So that if you have textured implants, which is like just highly stimulating sandpaper within the body, or you have a rupture with silicone spilled all over, even if they're cohesive gel, which are supposed to stay like a gummy bear, they actually do liquefy if they've been ruptured long enough. Or if you have this microbacterium bacteria, you don't want that opening up in the chest wall. So going to a surgeon, there's a lot of surgeons now because they're going to do whatever follow the money. So more women are coming in to ask for their implants removed. And if they haven't been properly educated on how that has to happen, then these surgeons are like, yeah, I'll do that for half the price of everybody else. I can even do it in office awake. And they just make a little tiny incision and pop out the implant and leave open the capsule. And then these women come back to us months or years later, even sicker than they were before. And we have to go back in and do an exploratory capsule removal. Wow. And at that time, talking about taking something out instead of as one piece, it's potentially broken into many pieces. I know I watched a video on TikTok that was really alarming where a surgeon showed an implant within the capsule and then cracked it because it like hardens. And that surgeon still performs breast augmentations. Very familiar with him. He did mine. Wow. Yeah. So 
I'm glad that like he's showing those things, but at the same time, I'm always like, how is this not a conflict of interests? How do you see what is happening inside the body with breast implants and have women coming to you so desperate and so sick and then go, yeah, tomorrow I'll put some more in. (laughs) I don't. The doctor I work with does not place breast implants and hasn't for years. Wow. And when he did, he was primarily doing it just for cancer reconstruction. And if a patient who had recovered from cancer had a different type of autoimmune issues or had Hashimoto's or any of those, he would tell them they were not a candidate for a breast implant because he saw too many issues in women that had pre-existing conditions with autoimmune issues, psoriasis, different things like that. And he would be like, nope. Well, that speaks to ethics. Now, I want to mention for a moment, because this is reminding me of an earlier episode, I had Dr. Sean Tasson on this podcast, and I actually learned about you listening to his show, Confessions of a Male Gynecologist. He also talks about some of these for-profit surgery centers and how they like to do things like install pellets that release hormones in a constant rate in a woman who's going through hormone replacement therapy. And he flat out will will not do them for similar reasons. He sees continual problems. He's like, I could be a very wealthy man just doing these pellets, do multiples a day, inserting these implants. Well, he really started, paved the way for these women who are coming in sick from Esher, which is a device that many women use for sterilization. And it's a foreign device in your body. Mm -hmm. And they were having all these same symptoms because it's all inflammation. It's all inflammation driven by a device. And so he would remove them and they would get better. Mm -hmm. So then he was like, I'm not putting them in anymore. Right. And yet there's a lot of money in it. So people keep doing it, right? Exactly. And so these surgeons like Dr. Whitfield and Dr. Tassone are very brave because they are going against the flow of their associations. Mm -hmm. So I commend them Mm -hmm. and they are on the right side of history. What's the first thing you're told to say? First, do no harm. So a doctor is essentially going against a Hippocratic oath if they know something can create problems and yet they still continue to do it. I mean, what's the justification? Well, this woman wants implants. She's going to get them from somewhere if she doesn't get them from me. So I guess I'll just do it. I mean, that's not justification. So let's talk for a moment about, I want to go two places before we wrap our call. First is I want to understand what the recovery process was like and what ultimately you found that would support you on that journey so that anybody listening here, if they're considering going the explant route, if they have implants and they want to stop that whole struggle for them, what would that look like? And then the second piece is really just to understand if you wanted to have some breast augmentation, what other options are available? Because you know, some people are, they're going to pursue something there because they either, they might've had reconstruction issues. They might've been in a situation like you where after breastfeeding, you simply didn't have much left and you really just didn't feel as feminine anymore. You want a solution. So I'd like to first talk about explant recovery and then about other options. Yes. And I do want to also state that I was doing all of the things. I was eating a low inflammatory diet and I was taking the supplements. I don't know if I have been alive, had I not been doing that, I know it was helping. And the first thing that we tell women who come in wanting explant is to immediately remove all processed foods from their diet, remove dairy, yeah. remove gluten, 
and to eat an organic diet, to only use organic or grass-fed wild-caught fish and protein sources. So that's the very first thing. Now, after explant surgery, recovery is, it depends on where you go. Like we don't use drains in our surgery. So it's very important for you to have a high protein diet because surgery puts your body in a stress state, which is a catabolic state, which is everything's leaky. You produce a lot of fluid. So we're trying to get you an anabolic state by increasing your protein to 100 to 150 grams of protein a day, which is a lot, but it really, really helps in expedited recovery. So we have a lot of vegetarians and vegans, and so I can do that with pea protein. And then for just immediate recovery, ice is the best, non-expensive, most important anti-inflammatory that you can use. So we have everyone ice half an hour on, half an hour off for days, and it makes a big difference. And movement, walking around, we don't want people laying around in bed, walking around and getting the lymphatic system going is very important. And then just all of the things, a little bit of sunlight, good filtered water, and getting your greens in. What was the next part? <laughs> well, that's the heavy part, <laughs> recovery from explant surgery. And it doesn't sound like it's rocket science. A lot of what you shared is common yeah. sense. But I think it's interesting that you don't use drain tubes because I think that's so commonplace in breast implant surgery and, and explants that you would think that was just the norm, right? Like you'd have drain tubes. Yeah, many surgeons still do, but it just increases your likelihood of an infection. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I love that Dr. Whitfield doesn't do is prophylactically put you on antibiotics. Oh, yeah. He understands that's going to destroy the gut. We are very gut-minded. And so most women have a understandably messed up gut microbiome. I mean, for me, I'm always like, then they don't study these things, but it's like, you have this up here. Where is it flowing down river to? Because <laughs> all of the women have awful issues with their gut. So not doing other things to further disrupt the gut is very important. Well, I haven't heard of many surgeons that don't put you prophylactically on antibiotics. I mean, they even want to yeah. do that often when you deliver a baby, if you have any issues going on. So yeah, that it's been actually proven that that doesn't prevent <laughs> an infection. How about treat it if you have an infection? Because your body can also handle a certain amount yeah. of bacteria and that's part of how the system works, right? Correct. So I think that's really commendable. Now, if we're looking at the alternatives that exist for women who are really looking to augment their chest, so to speak, what are you looking, what protocols does the doctor you work with, I believe he's Dr. Whitaker, is that correct? Whitfield. Whitfield, correct. Yeah, so his background is in breast reconstruction post-mastectomy. So for instance, for a mastectomy patient, we would recommend either fat transfer or deep flap. He doesn't do deep flaps anymore. That's microsurgery, but that's where you take a tissue like from the thigh or the abdomen and you actually rebuild a breast. Is a really amazing, amazing surgery for creating a breast mass. That would be what I always recommend for anyone who has had cancer and needs reconstruction. I've had women sit in the office and say they felt worse with breast implants than they ever felt with cancer. So that's what we would recommend. And then for women who either are wanting to augment their breasts or who have had breast implants and are scared to have them removed and not know what to do going forward, Fat transfer is a wonderful option. I myself have done fat transfer. I did a very small fat transfer. I'm just barely an A cup, 
but that was because I didn't have, then after all the inflammation went down in my body, I didn't have fat on my on me anymore. So we had to harvest from a bunch of places, but I just, because I had to add my implants for so long and because I had such pectoral atrophy and because I'm low BMI and didn't have breast tissue to begin with, I was concave. For me, it was like reconstruction and at least be able to wear a V-neck shirt or anything like that without it looking odd. So it was a great decision. I'm very happy. Now that can even be done local without general anesthesia. So you don't have to go in for a major surgery to do fat transfer and you're not going to have issues. It's your own tissue, your own fat. Everyone wants to say, I'll donate fat, but you have to use your own. (laughs) Yeah, you have to use your own. That's right. Well, I think the overall message you've shared with our community is so profound. I want to say I'm proud of you for being willing to come up and speak so transparently about your experience. I'd love to know if you have any particular parting thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with, or if there's a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had, you could ask and answer it. I think more than anything, I just want women to realize that they are more than their bodies. And I didn't get a fat transfer for two and a half years. And I had to learn to love myself and the way I looked during that time. I wouldn't trade it. I'm glad I didn't get to just have an immediate fix. Like, okay, you took the implants out and put fat in and I look totally normal. That was a very transformative time for me. And so I think that women who are going through that or who are scared to face that part of explant surgery, if they were someone who was very, didn't have much tissue to begin with, to not fear it because it really turns out to be the most amazing part of your life journey here. I can see how it was attached to my purpose. Never did I think as someone who was trying to hide everything about my breast as a little girl because I was humiliated and made fun of for it, to then having implants that were bigger than they were ever supposed to be. So I was always covering them up to being someone who has shown all of the ugly sides of the pictures of things that I've gone through on this and to be just openly talking all the time about it. And there's so many women that have that journey as well. And so I feel like we're all a tribe and that we should all support each other and to just know that you're more than your body. Oh, I love that. And during this week, when we are looking specifically at International Women's Week, I think that's a profound message on which land. You are more than your body. Everything upstairs and more. (laughs) Are there any myths you'd like to debunk before we part as it relates to breast implants? Yeah, they're going to make you feel like you're more. Most women feel like they're going to feel complete or they're going to be feminine, or they're going to feel like they are more. And I never felt that way. And the women that I work with every single day also don't feel that way. I mean, they're literally there to get their breast implants removed and they're embarrassed to show the surgeon. They're not even comfortable with them. They never feel like they're a part of you. And so the idea that breast implants are going to make you feel like you fit in is a myth because then you just don't feel like you even fit in your own body. And so I always say the best decision I have made for myself in the last 20 years was removing my breast implants and I've never missed them once. And that getting your body back is worth it. 
is worth anything that I had to go through. So, well, you got your health back. They are not all they're cracked up to be. <laughs> well, I want to thank you again for being so transparent and for being willing to come on the show and tell your story. Now, I do also want to share with the audience here that if you are dealing with inflammatory disorders, often these issues are hard to diagnose. So what you heard from Candice could be very similar to your journey, completely unrelated to something like breast implants. It could be that you just have something like hot mouth syndrome or something to that effect, which is also tied to inflammation. So much of what we do, so much of the salt on our bodies that trends towards these hard to diagnose and hard to deal with issues is because our system has become really inflamed. And those inflamed issues can come from environmental toxins. They can come from an implant. They can come from a really poor diet that's high in processed foods. They can also be compounded by a genetic issue like having an inborn insufficiency related to the MTFHFR gene or APOE4 allele. So knowledge can be power. You're a powerful woman, Candice. Thank you so much. And I hope that we've inspired people to think a little bit more deeply together about the things that they choose to do to their bodies and also supporting that reduction in inflammation by balancing their diets. I always say, reduce this processed foods, increase the whole plant-based foods. If you eat a lot of seed oils, consider reducing those and also increase your omega-3s. These two things can help your body get into balance. So again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. What a treat this has been. I've so enjoyed this connection with Candice. And so I want to be sure to again offer you all of the contacts and the ways to reach her. To find out more about Candice Barley, visit her website, holisticolife.com. That is O-L-I-S-T-I-C-O life.com. Holistico is Italian for holistic. So if you need another way to remember it, that's it. You can also find her Instagram page at Holistico Life. I'll be sure to include links to both with show notes on every platform and also include full transcripts with our blog, which is hosted at orlonutrition.com. You can always send an email note to me directly through email at hello at orlonutrition.com or through our social platforms at orlonutrition. And as a reminder to all of you, if you're tackling inflammation, if you want to increase your omega-3s, if you are trying to best your health, then I encourage you to check out Orlo Nutrition's omega-3 and immunity boosting products. Now, all of our listeners qualify for an introductory 10% off. You can simply use the code NWC10 at checkout to receive an additional 10% off your order. And that is in addition to any site-wide promos that we're presently running. Again, that code is NWC10 and you simply use it at checkout on orlonutrition.com. If you learned something today, I hope that you'll subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and also write us a written review. This is one of the ways that more people discover the show. And so you can help be a part of the solution and help more people achieve the best health that they can naturally. I hope that you'll join me today as I prepare to say my closing words and raise my favorite beverage in the morning with all of you. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.